Hello, and welcome to part two of the story, birth, The Birth of the Three. Um, uh, let's get started. Prenthook wanted to deny his presumptions. He wanted to remain half-elf. He considered the pair, arguing with his elven side, then with his human side, as to why both should die. The woman was unremarkable. He feared most of all. He, he feared mo most of all a kind, a half-breed, like himself, that wanted more for his kind, and that at the expense of all other races. The child, on the other hand, well, let's do this thing. You must see it as I do. The promise of genocide, the threat of war. Let's kill this one so we can go back to our homes and our families. Let's end this threat to our own. Despite the lowly status of the mother, she boldly protested the half-elves' intercession. I know what you intend. You want the baby dead. The elves do, as do the humans. Don't you see? This babe is both elf and human. It's the greatest thing that could happen to the Abyssine. You see it. You ain't see you ain't so blind, eh? My brothers, one half breed to rule the three races. It is as clear as the written word. Nonsense, chirped Piggle Graves, and he slid in, pried free the infant, removing him, carving him free like a growth, and de depositing him sloppily. Prenthook, acting out of confusion and sheer terror, wrenched a blade skillfully between two of the women's ribs searching for pain and fear, loosening the last crimson beads, breaking the string, scattering them on the ground, ending her tremulous heartbeats. The midwife, with a shudder and a gasp, crumpled to the ground. Captain Prenthook could not take his eyes off the infant boy. There was no denying he being king, fearless, indomitable, the boy stood before the mottled coat of copper wheel that fought the dulling, frightening, grieving action of the wind and the rain. It was his first command as king. He defeated those within. Do you hear it? asked Pogglegrim, concerned, as he studied attentively the silent, dark village behind them. Hear what? queried Prenthook, himself suddenly afraid, unlike his half-elf ilk which rarely demonstrated the emotion, unless it served them, whenever in the company of men. Fear must be common among both, though the elves would never act on it. He was afraid now more than ever, afraid of what he could allow himself to be. For this infant, terrified of giving himself over to his elf side, of subduing and defeating the, elf, the human side, Fear was funny for his own, fearing himself, fearing his humanity, and fearing even more. Captain Prenthook said nothing. He only held the child close, any closer, and the two would cease to be separate. Though the captain feared already, he was no longer an individual. He could not help but identify something odd about the child, a bulb that must break through lead to flower, a pup 
that could know life only by draining its blood with savage bites to its flesh. Something like fearlessness, something more, something like destiny, like the light of a hot furnace, forging an uncommonly strong blade. You must die, little one, insisted Cram Pre Captain Prenhook quietly. You promised grief to my race, not hope. You must die tonight. The infant looked Captain Prenhook square in the eye, latching on, as if fishing, hooking, reeling him in. Captain Prenhook turned away. No one had ever looked the half-breed in the eye a full five seconds. Never. Sure. Half-elves tested that rule, imploring those they encountered, but all turned away before their, that fifth second. What was this child daring? What did he expect? He must refuse the captain that sixth second. He must. There are shouts, shouts and cries of alarm, Poggle wanted to pull over him again, the heavy quilt of rain and wind. Copperwheel is dying. What do we do? Captain Prenhook said nothing. He only knelt, then placed the infant in the devoted muck. Divided muck. He studied the infant. He invoked the infant's reaction with a hostile look. He then removed his steel blade and stood over the emotionless child. Do it already, demanded Prig Havel. The squelched voice of, the vi of this village speaks volumes. There may be war coming come morning. Captain Prenthook stood motionless. It was like the infant soberly welcomed his death. He reached with his heavy hand and pursued it and pounced on it and grappled with it, an action that would demand violence except when read by those half-breeds, half-breeds reading more into an action of violence than any human could, an action only half-breeds could forgive. The captain withdrew his blade, then touched it to the infant's chest. As he moved to more mortally wound the boy, his blade curled back, the handle, the black lip of a snarling hound, the captain was a sword the captain was a sword no more, but what was he? A toothless serpent, an incomplete beast, wedged between creation and annihilation. The captain could identify with nothing. He scrambled for answers. He clamored for what he was. Will you kill me? I am your king. I am the answer to your prayers. I know who you are, Prenhook. I've had my eye on you for a decade. So many half-elves take their own life. They lack dignity. They only know what the elves and the humans say they are. They are never in a position to realize who they are. I see something new in you, Prenhook. Something worthy. Captain Prenhook discarded his prized blade. A blade with a distinguished pedigree, a blade that had served kings and heroes for centuries. The weapon, upon inspection, was corrupted by the child's reflection. It was deformed by the young one's grip. Captain Prenhook isolated his human side. Like a dog lathered in sweat, he could kill his human side and contain his elf side, be an elf, a better elf, than those that populated the Abbasine, the only kind of elf worthy to own this world. Pago Grimm noted 
This is the kid promised. I didn't think it could ever happen. For this kid, the elves will pay handsomely. Shoot, this might be the one thing that will make the elves respect us. Us handing him over to them. They may consider us elves as they are. Captain Prenhook acted fast, faster than his fellow troops could recover. He disarmed Pogogrim, and with his fellow warrior's steel, enchanted blade in his hand, he plunged the knife into four of the other six before they could exhale a salty curse. This left two. He could not hesitate. He had to kill the other two before news reached their acknowledged king that a true threat to him had been born. Why was promise so elusive? Why did it arrive on the back of a bear? The future, so tangible, so forgiving, unraveled like an ill-woven tapestry. Several threads pulled in a multitude of directions. The half-elves were unlike anyone alive. They understood defeat always. The two half-elves were swift, as swift as he was, and tireless. He could not hope to intercept the pair, especially now that he understood the two to have split up. His secret would not remain a secret. He saw murder. He saw despair. That was the only thing half-breeds saw. Despite their ambition, they always saw their doom. The only thing they were allowed to see. Yes, upon looking in that child's eyes, the captain saw something like self. That eluded him. Something like victory. Suddenly he heard it, and as distinct as a clanging cymbal, one of his brethren was dead, dropped suddenly and violently. He crashed through the whispering foliage to the ground like a bag of rocks. Who could it have been that intercepted Prickhovel and had slain him so effortlessly? Captain Prenthook disregarded it. After all, he still had another trooper to slay. Better to catch him, and fast, the voice of his presence hissed like water on heated rock. But Captain Prenthook froze. Someone was close, very close. He could hear the breathing, the heartbeats. More, he could hear the hate, the hate that was articulated in the foreign ancient words the interloper spoke under his breath. An enchantment, one that, if entirely spoken, could end his own life abruptly. Captain Prenhook peered past the intervening veils of darkness, isolating the presence, and he identified Toad, the magic wielder, from the community that called the fortress atop Mount Ish home. Well, demanded Cran Captain Prenhook of the wizard, have at me. If you intend to kill me, then do it. The pale flame of the face of Toad masked any hostility or fear. He only stepped past the half-elf, and within two feet of him, he turned, said not a word, then walked away and disappeared in the frigid, wet darkness. One of three silvery serpents emerging past the soil and overtaking shadow. Captain Prenthook stood motionless, until the distinct voices of the breaths and the heartbeats of the th of three malevolent figures receded and were drowned out by the perpetual rain. The captain knelt and retrieved and cradled his king. He looked in those emerald eyes. 
He wanted to turn away. He anticipated failure, but the child squeezed his thumb and uttered his command, Look! And the captain, looking where he did not want to look, looking within, saw a war that had ended, with dead elves and dead men scattered everywhere. I am selfish. Are you selfish? The captain implored the emptiness. There was no denying the vacuum. The captain nodded, defeated and dead. That was what Prenhook always was. The captain Prenhook was overcome with shock and horror, like a pouncing, hungry beast. For what greeted the half-elf's ears after the clamor of the presence of the three magic wheelers fell away was silence. None of his half-elf brethren lived, which he was glad for, but neither did anyone remaining alive did anyone remain living in the village copper wheel. No one sleeping, no one awake, no one terrified, no one hunting down the intrusive half-elves looking to have his revenge. No one was alive. Only the baby, the child that smelt of forged steel, the promise of the half-elves, the future king, victor over men and elves. His heart sounded like the thrashing of a canvas drum. His breath was like the roaring flame. The witches and the wizards were also aware of the birth of this special child. They saw another exhausting war between elves and men. They saw a new victor, one that was neither an elf nor a man, the promise of a stable peace among the three races, a victor in the last war of the races, a war begun by the death of Copper Wheel. Other than the mysterious, frightening magic wielders, those who intended the life of the child to be kept a secret, the only other one who knew was Captain Prenhook until which time he could win on the battlefield and sit and master from his throne. He need keep the one king safe. The boy was aging fast. He would be king, the captain was sure of it, but he had to be hidden, until which time he could rule. You know what makes us different from men? We experience pain. What they experience is something else, something alien, something they must defeat in them, that we suffer pain, that we do hope. And elves? Elves do not hope. We hope. Our race is complete only when we have been denied the knowledge. The boy was shedding his skin like a colorful butterfly his cocoon. Absently scratching his flesh, he commented, We, the half-elves, like you and me, they will not sit side by side, ruling together with the elves and men. We will bring war to the Abyssin. Men will slay elves, and elves will slay men. The half-elves will slay both. The last great war of the races will be fought by all. In the end, we, the superior race of hybrids, will rule over all the races as tyrants, enslaving all those who have sought to cripple and enslave our own kind. They will all of them pay for a generation they will burn, then willingly die to end their grief and pain, which will be the only way. The child, who was sloughing his skin, itching, corrupting it into something resplendent, took Prenhook's blade to ease his chafing flesh. 
He urged the half-elf, my legacy is that the half-elves will become the best of the other races, eliminating the worst in each. I am a fire. I am so hungry. Gold that must be purified. Feed me, my brother. A hybrid must suppress that which is elven and that which is man. It begins with one act. Captain Prenhook looked around. Where was he going to find food for this child? He reached into his pouch and produced deer jerky and a biscuit. No, that can't feed me. It can't. Look into my eyes. What do you see? I see a chasm, replied the captain. If I don't look away, I'm afraid I'll fall in and cease to be. An animal, eventually retreating, for the hollowed grounds of heaven, past the rain, beyond the darkness. That's what the man saw, where the creature was leading him. Where was the creature leading him? Prenhook shrugged his shoulders. The boy pointed fervidly at the pale, lifeless body of a nearby half-elf. I don't understand, ins insisted the captain. He didn't want to understand. The child looked past the captain. I made a promise. This I must do, if I am to succeed. Go on and feed your king. Men, they fear shame. Elves, they do not recognize it. This is something the half-breeds must do, half-breeds must do, to complete the transformation, to defeat what must be defeated in us. That is the only thing holding us back. We must know shame. Captain Prenhook approached the fallen form of his comrade. Not just a comrade. The body had belonged to a friend, Pogglegrim. To touch him, to defile his corpse, and cut a piece away, would burn his flesh and cause him such an illness that there was no cure for. He would suffer a malaise, a never-healing, bleeding wound, an inexhaustible, consuming flame for the rest of his life. Prendhook took Pago's hand. He saw himself throwing over kingdoms and slaying kings. He was unwriting history until the past was as without substance, as pliable and unremarkable, as the unshaped day, the promise of one unerring future. And such a, if such an act, the act of cutting away flesh of one of his brethren, would cause such grief, what well, could befall one who actively consumed the flesh of one of his own? Wincing and shaking, having cut away a sliver of silver flesh, Captain Prenhook delivered the scrap of the body, and weeping, Losing all poise and courage and substance, placed it in the boy's palm. The captain was convinced he had passed from death into life. The boy Socha eagerly and hungrily consumed the flank of the fallen elf. I don't understand. How is it that the flesh of one of your own does feed you? The boy took the captain's blade and cut the elastic flesh into wafers. What is to understand? No, this provision was made. The order was dictated to make it possible for our own kind to succeed, to triumph. Do you judge your king? Captain Prenthook reviled himself. He judged himself as unworthy of life, if worthy of such a king. Socha clamored, There is only one way to serve al alongside me. 
The captain returned his focus to the dead body of his friend. Shafts of golden light shot from his wound in all directions, as if refracting through stained glass. He saw himself feeding his own wife and son the flesh of a fellow half-elf. He could not deny he saw the half-breeds victorious. He saw them in a future absent of humans and of elves, a time when the Abyssin was exclusively their own, at the expense of the humans and elves. What, 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 but what did feed them? The body was overtaken by a green flame, an eternal flame, certain to terrify any man within a mile, and any elf throughout the world. He now understood the value of the grave, insulting himself, insulating himself from those with such frightful expectations of themselves and of those recruited to serve alongside and those with a humble disposition. That frightful thing that frightful things existed that sustained the child as much as the flesh did. Captain Prenthook turned from the defiled corpse of his friend Pogelgrim back to Boy Socha. Please don't ask that of me. Please, I'm not prepared for such as that. All in due time, then, barked the boy. But the choice is yours. Consume the flesh of those pitted against me, and serve beside me, or refuse and feed my troops. There is no alternative. Prenthook admitted defeat and watched, stupefied, as the child savored the half-elves flesh. Only cruel things, frightful things, impossible things, this child led, this child promised. The child was the future of the half-breeds, but he could not take the child back with him. In fact, nowhere near the, his village, where the peculiarity of the child could be determined by the senses of the half-elves long before he entered the wood that shielded his kingdom. He recognized the urge that announced itself like a brass bell in the boy's proximity, the urge to kill himself. It was ever-present, the urge would reveal itself in all his brethren should he bring the child close. Now he understood, being a half-breed, that unresolved issue would haunt him, even if the half-breed succeeded in eliminating the leadership of the elves and of the men once the boy took command. He could refuse this king, but he knew his future, as well as that of his race, rested on this young boy's shoulders. No, there was really only one place Captain Prenthook could take this threat and shield it temporarily. Not among elves, nor among men, he had to keep the existence of the child a secret. It was only po possible among one race of beings. Captain Prenthook would have to take the child to the dwarves, not just any dwarves, the common dwarves that instigated wars between the races. The common dwarves welcomed a war between the elves and men. They sought to benefit materially by the amount of bloodshed by both sides. The common dwarves had, in the past, entered the conflict staged by both sides, joining one and then the other, accumulating exceptional wealth 
and stealing technology that set them above all others. The boy would be safe only amidst those dwarves that shunned the appetites and arrogance and common the common dwarves fed. Captain Printhook had to go to the priestly dwarves. Only the priestly dwarves, the clever lights, could keep this Socha boy a secret, until which time Captain Printhook could bring together enough of his fellow soldiers to trust the boy and believe in the boy and serve under him. Those who believed in the exclusivity of the half-breeds, those who want war, those who will fight the humans as well as the elves, intent on subverting both and enslaving both. There were many who hated both humans and elves. They would not be hard to convince, even after they learned they must feed on their brother's flesh. The half-elves had something in common with the priestly dwarves in that they identified something within them worthy of resisting and defying. That did not resign to, to being only dwarves. Captain Printhook looked to foster a relationship with one dwarf among the clever lights, one with a heart, one willing to listen. That was difficult, even for dwarves who fought in themselves things like bullheadedness and arrogance. Once he identified that one dwarf, he could succeed in convincing the others through him. War has come to the Abyssin, the child shifted, an ember rotating in a fire, unleashing a flock of lazy sparks. This wizard toad demands we take sides, for once as half-elves, we have no choice. We must fight, not for others, for the first time for our own. And that concludes uh, part two of the prequel story three, um, entitled The Birth of the Three. Uh, and the next, uh, I'll offer the next chapter uh, in roughly a week's time. Thanks for listening, and good night.